Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. And uh, if you're new or watching online, we're glad to have you here. Uh, Bellingham, you guys are lightweights compared to the snow up north. I mean... We got hammered up north. You guys are just hanging out here in the rain. It's all good. So if you're watching online because you couldn't make it in today, we're glad to welcome you. Uh, you'll have noticed over the last couple of weeks, we've started doing something we haven't done in a while, which is making people feel welcome. And I know that, that uh, there's mixed reviews with this kind of stuff. Some people are like, yay. Other people are like, no. Um, so here's what we're doing. Uh, when you make someone feel welcome, you can do that with eye contact. You can smile at somebody. You can wave. If they go like this and that's not your thing, you can go like this. It's a new version of rock, paper, scissors. I mean, and, and, and it just, we just want everyone to make sure that they feel deeply, deeply welcome. And so we're glad that everyone is here today and, and you can just handle that stuff as it, as it rolls out, all right? So last week we started a mini-series called Living the Opposites. Next week we're going to kick off the brand new Easter series called Eight Days. And we're going to do eight days of Easter out of order. So I know it doesn't seem like it on your calendar, but next week is Palm Sunday, okay? And Pastor Brian will be here to kick off the series. We're so excited for that. But last weekend, we, we jumped into a passage of Scripture that, that caused a bit of a stir, and I think it was a stir in the right direction. We kicked off the message talking about how life changed through the great limitation in 2020 that was followed by the subsequent great resignation where people retired or quit. And then there was the great abdication where people were quiet quitting and not telling their bosses they were actually out. Then there was the great relocation where people were moving all over the country. And last week we started talking about the great fixation where people were locked on a particular issue and refused to let it go. And we've all experienced these to different levels over the last number of years. But my point was, underneath of that, undergirding all of these different shifts, was this question that just kept popping up on Google. And it's not a new question, it's an old question. It's been around for a really, 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 really long time. And the question was, so are we actually living in the end times? Like, What's the deal with what's going on in the world? And before we dove into the topic, I shared this clear command with you. This is Jesus talking to his people about how he wants them to handle whatever phase they happen to find themselves in. It's a reminder from Jesus about the end times. The Bible says in Matthew 24, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You'll hear wars and rumors of wars. But here it is. See to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. This is Jesus telling his people, of all the people in the world, no matter what is happening or what phase of time we happen to find ourselves in, we should be the most calm group because we know who wins. We know how the story ends. So we should be the ones that are like, I'm good. I'm good. This past week, another name emerged for the time we're living in. A group of researchers were studying the dramatic rise of anxiety, fear, and suicidal ideation right here in the United States. And they came up with a working phrase for this season. They're calling, and I love the fact that it rhymed with all of my stuff. They're calling it the great trepidation. It's a season of worry, deep concern. People don't know what to do with the times that we're living in. And we're going to talk about that today. On the morning of Saturday, January the 13th, 2018, something happened in Hawaii that sent a ripple across the whole country. 
A ballistic missile alert was accidentally issued via the emergency alert system over television, radio, and cell phones all over the islands of Hawaii. The alert stated that there was an incoming ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii and it advised residents to immediately seek shelter. It had also concluded with these words, this is not a drill. The message was sent at 8.07 a.m. And people began to deal with a reality they did not expect to wake up to that morning. Phone lines were jammed as people attempted to reach family on the mainland. They wanted to call to say goodbye. People were seen running in the streets. They had nowhere to go. They were on an island, but they were running just in fear. People were panicked buying food and water, and Google was blowing up with this query. Two questions. Is this the end, and is this real? For 38 minutes and 13 seconds, people stared death in the face. And at the end of 38 minutes and 13 seconds, another alert was issued that said, sorry, it was a mistake. Last week, I saw an Instagram reel from a man who's suing the Hawaiian island government because of severe traumatic distress. He says his life has been irreconcilably altered because of the fear that he experienced. And what a contrast that to the fact that Laurel and I had dinner the other night with friends who were on the island in 2018 and got that missile text message on their phones. We shared the story over dinner. They said they called their kids, said their goodbyes. And while they were doing that heartbreaking work, they were covered in a piece that can only come from knowing exactly where they were going, should it be true. They talked about how they thanked God for their lives and how they were currently living them. They, they thanked God that in that moment they didn't have any regrets. And after all the goodbyes were said and done, this is what they did. They went for a long drive down the coast, taking in the beauty and experiencing real peace. Do you know why? Because they knew Jesus. And they trusted Jesus with those moments of uncertainty and their quiet confidence in him changed everything. No reason to run. No reason to panic. Because my last breath here will be my first breath there. And if you think Hawaii is beautiful, you need to read about heaven. This is the question, though. By the way, Dave and Sue, thank you for sharing your story with us. This is the question. What would you have to alter in your life if you found out Jesus was coming back in an hour? Whose face would flash across your mind? Would you call them to say, I love you, or would you forgive me? Here's a thought. What about doing both today? What about making everything that you need to make right, right today? The truth is this. We talked about it last week. Are we living in the end times? This was my professional theological answer. I don't know. I have no idea. Jesus said, no one knows the time or the hour except for the Father which is kind of ironic to me because a lot of people are spending a lot of time trying to figure out something that Jesus said, you can't know. I'm going with Jesus on that one and not wasting my time. He said, you can't know. So why are you trying to figure something out? 
No one knows the time or the hour except for the Father. We don't know the time, but what we do know is this. We are one day closer, and we're supposed to live anticipating His coming. Last week, we heard the Apostle Paul call us to the divine opposites. He characterized how people would be living in the last days, and we were so struck by how accurate his statements were about the world that we're living in right now. This is what he wrote to all of us. He said, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then here comes this phrase, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And then here was the last line, have nothing to do with these people. That is a dark description of humanity. And incredibly accurate these days. But this is what we held on to. This was the call. Don't get so fixated on the darkness you forget about the light, people. Jesus said he was the light of the world. He said you are the light of the world. So don't get so stuck in the darkness. Remember something. Darkness loses to light every single time. So last week we were called to live the opposites. Instead of following culture, we were supposed to live in the opposite spirit. Jesus people are supposed to live the opposite of the first descriptor. So we came up with a list of second descriptors as to how we are supposed to live. Let me review them really, really quickly. Paul said in the end times, people are going to be lovers of themselves. We said, then we should purposely love others. He said, they'll be lovers of money. We said, we should live a life of generosity. He said, they're going to become more and more boastful, which means we should be quietly confident. He said, they're going to become proud. The opposite, of course, God called us into humility. He said they're going to be more and more abusive, which means when we are kind and loving, that stands out. He said they'll be disobedient to their parents. And remember, I stopped everybody in this moment and said, hey, don't, don't blame shift this one onto your kids. Don't go, hey, like, kid, like, Grant's talking to you. Listen up. I reminded us of something. We all have a heavenly father. We have a parent in heaven who we are called to honor. Paul says they're going to be ungrateful, which means we're supposed to be even more grateful. They're going to become more and more unholy. We're supposed to be pure. They're going to be without love, so we should be filled with love. And then finally, we barely even touched on this one. They're going to become more and more unforgiving, which means God's people have been called to be people of forgiveness. Barely got to cover the last one, so I'm going to pause briefly before we move on to the last eight and then that last phrase. Forgiveness is such a huge deal. The Mayo Clinic, one of the leading medical centers in the world, actually lists a lack of forgiveness as one of the primary roadblocks to not only physical but mental health. Choosing to withhold forgiveness has a deep cost in your soul, but we need to acknowledge something. It's hard to not or to forgive when you've been hurt. Over my 30 plus years as a pastor, this is the number one issue people come to me about. I don't know how to forgive. Let me share five quick thoughts about forgiveness. And then uh, my prayer is that they will help you break free. Number one, contrary to what many people have been led to believe, forgiveness is not forgetting. When you forgive someone, it doesn't come with a side of amnesia, right? You don't just get to wipe the databanks clean. It just doesn't work that way. But in that moment, you have a choice. You can either remember the pain or you can focus on the healing 
Secondly, forgiving someone doesn't mean that you no longer feel the pain of what happened to you. The pain will be there, but I'll tell you what, scars that are healed speak so much louder than wounds that are still bleeding. Number three, forgiving someone who sinned against you, it doesn't mean that you're going to cease longing for justice. That justice thing inside of you, that's actually a God-given gift. What it does mean is that in forgiving, you're going to choose to allow God to have his justice. You're not going to take matters into your own hands. You're going to release that person from your judgment. And what it means is this. You're saying, God, I need you to deal with them because when I deal with them, I end up in bondage and I want to be free. Number two, or number four, forgiveness doesn't mean you're making it easier for the offender. In fact, think about this. You're handing them over so God can do his good work. And God is a God of love, yes and amen. God is also a God of justice. And he says, I will balance the scales. And finally, I've learned forgiveness is rarely a one-time climatic event. (laughs) Most times for forgiveness for me, it's a day by day, hour by hour, sometimes minute by minute process that Jesus understands and he promises he'll walk you through. Here's a key truth that I keep coming back to. No matter how I want to change it or throw in a, yeah, but you don't understand, Jesus forgave us before he was asked, because I don't think any of us were there at the crucifixion when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he's asked us and shown us how to be people of forgiveness here's the bottom line as a jesus follower we have been called to be quick to ask for forgiveness and quick to offer forgiveness quick to ask quick to offer just like jesus so we covered 10 of these descriptors last week now we've got about eight ish left to go you ready here we go Paul says in the last days, people are going to become more and more slanderous. The opposite of that, of course, is honoring. Paul says people are going to increase in slander, accusation, defamation, and the cancellation of other people. Paul says words of of hatred and division and spite, they're going to increase. That shouldn't surprise any of us. Well, if those words of slander are going to increase, the people of Jesus are called to respond in the opposite spirit, which means instead of just shredding people down, we're supposed to build people up. That means we're supposed to give honor where honor is due. I'd like to honor a young lady today from our church. She was standing right over here with a guitar wrapped around her shoulders. She led us in worship today. And we are so honored and pleased to announce that Eva Le Sequenza has accepted the role of worship director right here at Christ the King Community Church in Bellingham. Because of the calling on her life, we're soon going to add the title pastor to her name. And let me tell you why. It's not because she's a really good singer. It's because she's an honorable young woman who loves Jesus passionately and wants nothing more than to lead God's people into his presence. We have fallen in love with Ebay's passion, her joy, and her love for her king. She honors God, and now we have an opportunity 
to honor her. And so she's in the back right now just hanging out, maybe watching on the monitor, maybe not. But I'm going to ask the people at 930, you clapped before, but I want to give you another opportunity to honor the fact that if you have been blessed already with Ivalice's ministry to us, would you affirm her leadership amongst this group of people by putting your hands together and just saying, Eve, we're with you and we love you. So good. Thank you. Paul says in the end days, people are going to become more and more without self-control. The opposite is self-controlled, right? Jesus' people are supposed to come equipped with a pause button. Like, oh boy. (laughs) Which means before I act on my drive to be noticed, to be right, to be perfect, to be sought out, to be elevated, to be recognized, I should choose to pause and reflect on where the glory is supposed to be all the time. Before I go back to my besetting sin, I'm supposed to pause and count the cost of that action on myself, my family, my coworkers, and my God. And I should consider alternative options to doing the stuff I don't want to do in the first place. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And what's the last one? Self-control. You know, I wonder what would happen if we began to measure spiritual maturity in our ability to say no to ourselves. Nope, not going to send the angry email. Feel like it. Not going to do it. Wrote it out in all caps. Going to hit delete anyway. Nope, not going to respond to that angry person. Not worth it. Nope, I'm not going to do what I feel bubbling up in my humanity. Instead, I'm going to pause and pray and seek an opposite response. Jesus keeps calling us to the opposites. Here's the next one. Paul says they're going to be more and more brutal. The opposite of that, of course, is peaceful. The word brutal here means a proponent of violence. The Jesus way is the opposite. It's discernible and definable peace. When given the opportunity, we're supposed to choose the way of Jesus because he said, not me, I didn't make this up. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Boy, this should be a wake-up call to all of us. I just got a question. Let's cross the line from preaching to meddling. How much violence do you allow into your soul? through what you watch, through what you do. Has anyone noticed that violence is on the rise in the world today? We see the heartbreak of it every single day. What's the answer? It's people who would choose peace as the first response. Paul continues. He says in the end, people will be not lovers of the good, which means we're supposed to actually be focused on the good. The book of Romans says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And he presses in deeper and says, okay, here we go. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. Here's the bottom line. None of us are good with vengeance. We're just not good enough to handle it well. God said, you need to give that to me. Verse 20 in Romans says, on the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. I want you to think about it for just a second. Have you ever had a situation in your life when someone was miserable to you? I mean, they were miserable to you. They were mean to you. They, they made your life absolutely horrible. And then one day they call and they need a favor. And you have a choice. You could think to yourself, I'm going to treat you exactly the same way you treated me. You made my life a living hell. I'm going to turn the tables on you. This is going to be so good for about a millisecond. I'm going to give evil for evil. Or you could choose the Jesus way and return evil with good. Now, I want to remind you, it says on there that if you do that, that you're going to heap burning coals on the top of the head of your enemy. So I think it's okay to choose good over evil and then ask Jesus, could you bring a front-end loader of hot coals and pour them all over the top of that person? I'm just saying, let's be real, okay? <laughs> Micah 6.8 says, he's shown you, oh man, what is good, what the Lord requires of you to do justly love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Here's the next one. They're going to be more and more treacherous, which means Paul is calling us to a higher level of honesty and ethics. The word treacherous here means to choose deceit and dishonesty. The opposite of this person is someone who, regardless of the cost, chooses honesty every single time. True story. A few weeks ago, Laurel and I are shopping, TJ Maxx, right? My wife loves a good TJ Maxx deal. And we discovered when we got home, there was a coat in the bag that we did not pay for. It was not on the receipt. Some of you might go, oh, winner. <laughs> not my wife. She sent me back into the store. <laughs> a couple days later, and the look of bewilderment on the clerk's face when I explained what I was doing. I said, so we ended up with a coat that we didn't pay for. I'm back here to pay for it. He's like, what? No, we got a coat and we didn't pay for it, so I'm back here to pay for it. What? His can, this, is, was his, this was the response that I knew we were going to be in there for a while. He goes, okay, uh, you can. I'm not trying to set us up as some exalted example, but it's pretty simple. Do you want to sell your integrity for 38 bucks? And don't get me wrong, my wife loves a good TJ Maxx deal. <laughs> she does. But would you sell your integrity for $38 and be reminded of it every single time you put on a coat? Or would you choose the Jesus way and have the joy and honor of watching the TJ Maxx staff try to figure out how do we deal with honesty? Next one. Paul says they're going to become more and more rash. The alter, opposite of that, of course, is measured. This word is highly connected to the pause. I mean, rash people act without due consideration. If you're a rash person, here's your motto. Ready, fire, aim. Speak first, consider the words later. They make a decision, count the cost later. They unleash their opinion. They don't consider the damage at all. What Jesus modeled for us are the kind of people... That, that take their time and weigh their words, consider the feelings of other people, embrace grace and truth, process the difference between good and evil, talk to Jesus, 
pause again, and then move forward. It's just a very different pace of life. And Paul hits another trend. He says, in the end times, they're going to be even more and more conceited. Opposite of that, of course, is to be rightly proud of oneself. Here's what's interesting. Do you notice Paul mentions arrogance three times? He just keeps coming back to it. He says they're boastful, they're proud, and then they're conceited. Three times, comes back to arrogance. He says in the last days, people are going to worship the God, little g God, of themselves. They're going to create altars of worship to themselves. They're going to design a path of worship so that people will worship their status. They're going to believe that they are the savior of their own world. What was the warning that came from Jesus earlier? Many will come in my name claiming, I am the Christ. You know how we hear that today? I'm my own God. I make my own way. I choose my own path. I am all that. I am the master of my own destiny. Can I say this with all due respect? Would you get back to us on that when you're on your deathbed? Humble says, Jesus gave me life and breath today. I'm going to use it for his glory. I mean, I get it all right, but I'm going to live like Jesus to the best of my ability because he must increase and I must decrease, which means people should see more of Jesus in my life and my actions than they ever see of me. One more. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul says... As we get towards the end, people are become more and more addicted to pleasure and comfort. Paul says people are going to choose the temporary pleasures of this world over the eternal joy of Jesus. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with good things. I love good food, good company, good steak, good activity, good conversation, good wisdom, good decisions. I love that, and you should too. But when the goodness of God is a secondary choice, when loving stuff over substance, when choosing self over service, when we choose me over he, then we are not living the divine opposites of God. Now here's where it gets really, 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 really interesting and very personal. They're the divine opposites, 18 and a half-ish. And then at the end of listing them off, Paul drops the mic with this statement. He says that these people that I just described, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Have nothing to do with them. And some of you are confused. You're like, so... I thought we were actually supposed to go after those people and share Jesus with them. I thought that was kind of the whole mission of Christ the King is to introduce Jesus to people who are far from God. I, I, I thought we're supposed to actually interact with people and live Jesus in front of them so that they can come to Jesus. I thought that was the whole point, and it is. Paul's warning here is not about staying away from people who don't know Jesus. You're actually supposed to stay away from people who have a form of godliness. But in reality, they don't know him at all. They have a really nice religious veneer. They carry a very large 
Bible. They talk about Jesus on Sunday for about an hour and a half. And the rest of the week, they worship at the altar of their own greatness. Paul's talking about staying away from people who would be embodied with this verse from Scripture. It says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. This is not a call to abandon our mission. It's, it's a call to not waste time on religious people who choose their own way over the Jesus way. That's kind of crazy, right? This whole time, Paul's been talking to religious people. This is what he's saying. Don't be religious people. Be Jesus people. Religion is fake and dead and it will leave you frustrated it will not give you peace or hope or love instead according to paul we're supposed to choose the exact opposite of a religious spirit you know what my summary is of this whole thing as we get closer and closer to the end religious people are going to get more and more mean has anyone seen an uptick in that the critics are just going off everybody's a skeptic Everybody's pressing back on all of these things. And Paul's just like, don't even waste your time. Spend more time focusing on your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. You want to know what's really attractive to them? Somebody who lives on the opposite end of all this other stuff. We're called to live the opposites. Living the opposites because... That's the fruit of eternity. Here's my last thought for the day. When I live the opposites, I'm choosing the way of Jesus, not only for now, but also for all of eternity. Matthew chapter 20. Jesus is talking to his disciples, his closest friends. That would be you. Hopefully that would be me. He's having a conversation and he's laying out all of these character qualities that he wants to see in, in his closest circle of 12. And he does it again. He actually maps out. He says, this is what people are going to look like. They're going to become more and more like this, like this, like this, like this. And then comes this incredible, powerful phrase. He says, but not so with you. Do the opposite. Christ the King, you have an amazing opportunity this week to live however you want to. You could choose to be self-centered, angry, full of yourself, worship money. You, you have the human ability to live any way that you want to. Christ the King, you could choose every single one of, the, of these pieces on the left-hand side, or you could take these words to heart, but not so with you. No, we do things differently. Because Jesus did them differently. And we are Jesus people. And no matter whether we're uh, close to the end or a long way away, in the end, Jesus wins. And his people win. And I didn't say it. He said it. You are the light of the world. Just stand with me as we pray. Right after the service is over, 
some incredible people that we call the after-service prayer team are going to come and stand up here across the front. And maybe, maybe you're here and you're just struggling because maybe it was a brutal morning and you acted in a brutal way <laughs> and you need somebody to pray with you. Maybe you've got a neighbor who's making your life miserable right now and you need someone to pray with you that you would choose to not return evil for evil, but instead to overcome evil with good. We would love to pray with you. And they'll be up here available. If you're watching at home right now, you can go to prayer.ctk.church. We have an army of prayer people who would take your request and bring it before the throne room of Jesus today so you know that you are not alone. That'll be available right afterwards. But first, let's pray together. Father God, may you allow us to live the opposites. Lord, we want to make a quantum shift in our life. Lord, whatever areas of our life that are out of alignment with you, Lord, we ask for the courage and the hope to bring them into line with your son. Jesus, thank you for Christ the King, for all those um, who are at home today. God, may they feel the power of your presence in their living room or wherever they happen to be. And God, as we come to you, Lord, we trust you with the timing. We trust you with the state of the world. Lord, allow us to be light in the midst of so much darkness. And Lord, may many be added to our number because we chose to live the opposites. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. If you need prayer, you're coming this way. If not, God bless you guys. Have a great week.